0: I'm Chuck Smeaton from the Royal Institution of Australia, and this is the Cosmos Briefing podcast. Today, we talk to Professor Alan Duffy, Swinburne University of Technology astrophysicist and lead scientist of the Royal Institution of Australia. With growing interest in the world of commercial space travel, Alan discusses the current status, its major players, and who else is going to benefit. Today's interview is hosted by Royal Institution of Australia Editor-in-Chief Ian Connellan.
1: I'm speaking this afternoon to the Royal Institution of Australia's lead scientist, Professor Alan Duffy. Alan is an astrophysicist and he heads up the Space Technology and Industry Institute at Swinburne University of Technology in Melbourne. Before we start, I'd like to acknowledge and pay my respects to the Ghana people, We're meeting today on the traditional lands of the Ghana people in Adelaide. Alan, I thought we'd talk a bit about space, seeing as it's your space. Um, Something that's been in the news quite a lot lately is talk of the billionaire race to get into orbit first. Tell us a little bit about uh, who the billionaires are and how they're gonna go about it.
2: All right, so this this battle of the billionaires is between Jeff Bezos uh, of Amazon fame, who started a rocket company called Blue Origin and his competitor, Richard Branson, who started Virgin Galactic. The, uh, the two have only recently come into battle. Basically, Jeff Bezos has made clear that he was going to do a uh, first crude rocket test of, of um, Blue Origin. And it just entirely coincidentally, and no one believes this, coincidentally, uh, Richard Branson decided to try to trump him by a week. So, this is a, a race to reach uh, the history books in that sense of, of a, these private billionaires with their own rocket companies taking themselves up to, well, if not orbit and if not quite space in the case of Virgin Galactic, certainly an impressively far height. And it's kind of capturing everyone's attention.
1: Now, we're talking here specifically about tourism um, that other well-known billionaire, Elon Musk, is kind of ahead of the game with with Falcon. He's he is engaged with NASA. He's got contracts. So, would just as, a, as a, an aside, would you regard him as being kind of ahead of these other two?
2: Yeah. So certainly, the you know SpaceX somehow doesn't need to enter this battle because it's already won. I mean, it's already ferrying people up paid uh, seats as it were to the International Space Station it has commercial arrangements for resupply with uh, with uh, NASA but also now ferrying up their astronauts they have a space tourism uh, contract out to the moon indeed in a few years time so SpaceX is, is just on a, on a different level however what makes this exciting is that with Blue Origin we have a company that from its inception was going to focus on reusable rocket technology very similar to the kind SpaceX has pioneered, the sense of that being that if you can reuse the rockets rather than losing them every time you you blast off, uh, that the the missions become cheaper, access to space becomes cheaper. And it makes possible, if not the mass market of space tourism, certainly something that becomes affordable to the wealthy elite as opposed to needing nations to fund crewed missions to space. So it really opens up the Numbers of people who can get involved in 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 space, but also drives an entire business model that that supports space tourism. And we know from from Earth, tourism has immense benefits. Immense economies can be realised when you hit that kind of scale, and that's what we're seeing happening right now.
1: On the way to these missions, that these first tourist missions that these guys are planning to launch, there's been some problems. Um, Virgin Galactics have probably been better known. Uh, everything solved, as far as we know.
2: Well, look. So, certainly, as far as we know, I mean, these these are um, still risks in, involved. Uh, Jeff Bezos is, is with his with his brother, um, uh, Wally Funk, the the 82 um, year old uh, former astronaut corps of the Mercury era, the, what was going to be the first females in in space, uh, until sadly and. In, in devastating that, that that mission was cancelled um though you know an incredible uh, array of people who are putting their lives on the line because rockets are not safe it is not like taking a flight yes there's been many tests uh, i gotta say though i would not be i wouldn't be putting my hand up for this first flight i just i think it, it is a risk uh, as you said there's been fatalities in the past tragically of course, we will hope that the, the number of tests since have changed that and that, that all the, the bugs are ironed out, but nothing can ever be 100% safe. And certainly when it comes to rockets, it's a, it can be a very spectacular failure. So I'll be crossing my fingers for all of them when the launches happen. It's,
1: um, it's very spectacular and it's very public, isn't it? That's the thing. I think if you talk to people in aviation, a lot of them would say, well, it's, it's safer to go into space than it is to fly light aircraft after dark
2: or something like that. Right. Well, so there's there's an interesting parallel with aviation. So when you look, so I don't think it's fair for us to look at the space sector as it is today and compare that to aviation today. Mm. That's aviation has had the benefit of uh, over half a century of civil. Uh, oversight and, and every time there's a crash, the civil aviation authorities go in, they figure out absolutely everything that went wrong and ensure that can't happen again. So every time there's, there's a crash or an incident, a report is filed and action is taken. Now with the space sector, that's what we're about to see commence.
1: Right.
2: So it's been internal up until this point. NASA has oversight and certainly has driven incredible safety enhancements, but I think what we're about to see is the space sector adopt the kinds of just business as usual approach where every failure will be investigated, every close miss will be investigated, and I hope shared with the rest of the rocketry community as best as it can, so we can all learn from each other's mistakes and we can improve that safety.
1: I think that's probably an aspect of it that I hadn't considered. Um, You're on record as saying you think it's good to get billionaires into space. Tell us
2: why. So this is uh, called the, um, the overview effect. And this is something that the first generation of, of astronauts who were all former military test pilots in the main, they were able to experience a true paradigm shifting moment when they saw the Earth hanging in the void and, and got a sense of the fragility of the Earth and tried to, and again, okay, very much changed environmentally aware and we i in particular hope to see a similar effect occur in the the rich and the powerful as they go up to space the idea of having hundreds thousands of by the sheer ticket cost itself richest and and perhaps then most influential and powerful people in the world have a similar transformative experience will i hope turbocharge the environmental movements that they will come back and use their influence to, to try to change things. And this isn't entirely inconceivable. We have the example with Antarctica, and indeed I was, I was struck with our Cosmos briefing on, on Antarctica where the tourism to that vast frozen continent is a, is a life-changing experience for many of, of the individuals, the staff that we all spoke to as, as part of that briefing, but also the, um, the idea that that further encourages the environmental protections of that site by its usage as it were as a a tourism destination so to preserve and maintain it for future business opportunities to be just mercurial about it you end up having safeguards in place and much greater oversight than perhaps you would if it was just a governmentally designated area that, that didn't have that, that vested interest in its preservation. So I, I hope that we have something similar occur with space tourism, but I I don't have to entirely be touchy-feely here and, and hope for this. The, the other great positive is the fact that we will have greater volumes, so numbers as well as the scale of craft going to space. That will drive down the cost of access to space in exactly the same way as early tourists on aviation, took it from the government contracts, primarily mail delivery, for example, some defense uh, um, uh, um, contracts as well, taking it from that era in the 20s, 30s, and then through the 40s and 50s, we saw this explosion in the scale of aviation until it became the kind of thing that we see today. When we see this volume of passengers and space tourism come through, we should see a similar effect, where the rockets will just become safer, uh, uh, larger, able to carry more, che- more cheaply as well to orbit, and that unlocks orbit for all of us, or at least allows greater access to it. Speaking of orbit, these
1: the early flights will be suborbital. Is that right?
2: Yes, this is this is where there's a little bit of um, uh, marketing spin going on. So, so just to be completely clear, the the Official international definition for space is the Kármán line. It's 100 uh, kilometers above the Earth's surface. Uh, Richard Branson, Virgin Galactic will not reach that. So technically, they will not be astronauts on the point their return. They're doing a suborbital flight. Blue Origin will surpass the Kármán line. So they will be astronauts. Uh, they will um, have a, a very limited microgravity experience as well. Essentially, you're just falling back to Earth. So it's not the kinds of astronaut footage we're all familiar with where people are are in orbit for hours, days playing around with water, you name it you know the classic Chris Hatfield kind of videos. What we will see, however, in this first test is the demonstration of the technology and then the opening up of the uh, of of the flights as it were to to longer microgravity experience and that's really the true beginning of space tourism, but right now this battle, yes, will not earn Richard Branson his astronaut wings just yet.
1: That's a pity, Alan. We should wrap it up. Last question: What does one have to pay to play in this new <laughs> tourism game?
2: So the uh, there was a, a public uh, bid for the the fourth passenger on on uh, Jeff Bezos's flight, and it's not it's. At the time of us talking, it's not clear who that is yet. Um, Tens of of millions of dollars. I think it was maybe 38 million US, but don't quote me on that exactly. Um, What it will cost going forward, the price per seat for Virgin Galactic was rumored to be somewhere in the region of 50 to $100,000. So I'm not saying that's cheap, and I certainly won't be lining up to, to pay for that just yet. But for the trip of a lifetime, if you mortgage your home, you know, it, it becomes affordable from that perspective. And I think for millionaires, it's eminently affordable. And you compare that to the, of order $50 million tickets to the International Space Station, we're talking 10, 100 times less. And that is a transformative opportunity. So I think that we are at this, this moment, this precipice of access to space, for, for humans and who are hopefully transformed by the experience, for uh, satellites that can, that can perform ever greater monitoring of the Earth's surface, helping us uh, meet our sustainable development goals for example, as, as the UN has articulated all 17 of which require, can be aided by access to, to information from space and, and, and positional navigation timing. All of these uses and benefits on Earth will become easier and become more prevalent and become better shared by this cheaper access to space and that's just a very exciting opportunity, even if it all begins with a a battle of the billionaires.
1: Professor Alan Duffy, always a pleasure. Very interesting. Thanks for joining me.
0: Thanks for having me. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode. Remember that you can head to cosmosmagazine.com via the link in the description for more great content. You can also subscribe to Cosmos Magazine, Australia's only science print magazine, and Cosmos Weekly, our online subscription-based deep dive into the biggest issues. You can watch and listen to all our Cosmos briefings via the link that you'll also find in the description. And remember, if you support science and its communication, please support our work at the Royal Institution of Australia. I'm Chuck Smeaton. Today's interview was hosted by Ian Connellan and our executive producer is Catherine Roberts. Thank you.